You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Welcome this morning. My name is Spencer and I'm the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4 today. This is part 5 of 5 of a series called Navigating Change because obviously we are in a season of change. Uh, You have a new pastor. I'm at a new church. Uh, This is my sixth week with you and I thought for my first bit with you, we should talk about change and how to navigate change and, and not just you know, the ins and outs of that, but really the question we're asking is how do Christians, followers of Jesus, believers in resurrection, how do we navigate change? Those who have hope for everlasting life, how do we navigate change and how does that guide us? And so we have been reading through a book of the Bible, a little book of the Bible in the New Testament called Philippians, uh, because Philippians is really all about change. It's written, it's a letter that was written by Paul to a local church. And, and in this local church, Paul's writing to them basically a goodbye letter. He's been arrested Uh, for preaching the gospel. He sits in a Roman prison cell and he's facing execution. And so now he's writing this letter to say goodbye to them. And just imagine that for just a moment. The founding pastor of your church, the person who probably led you to Christ, the person who's comforted you and encouraged you and inspired you and challenged you and prayed for you, sits in a Roman prison awaiting execution. What kind of questions would be going through your head as you read through this letter that he wrote to you? Questions like, well, what's going to happen to us now? What's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to Paul? What, what, what's our future hold? How do we, how do we handle you know, tomorrow and, and how are we going to go forward? And, and all of those kinds of questions, by the way, are, are the questions of change. Philippians is it's a goodbye letter, but it's really a, a way to navigate change. And so we're reading this letter and we're just asking, what is Paul teaching this local church? And, and what does that teach us about how we navigate change as well? So we're just reading through this, this letter. As we wrap up today, we're going to read not the whole chapter of chapter 4. We're going to read a part of it. And I want to share with you a principle that I think is, is just so important, especially for anyone here who might struggle with anxiety or stress or worry, which are common emotions as we Uh, go through change. And so today we're going to start Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. And here's what Paul writes. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, 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 rejoice. This is a word that we have seen throughout this letter. Rejoice, 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 which is an astounding thing if you think about the fact that he's sitting in a Roman prison while he writes those words, rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse 6, listen to this. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Actually, I want us to say that together. Can we say that together? Just that last line. Ready? Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Who got anxious just by saying that sentence? (laughs) Do not be anxious about anything. This is one of those verses that when I, I read it, I, I stop and I kind of think to myself, really? Do not be anxious about anything? This is kind of a question I've had about verses like this. I've had this question for a long time. Are, are verses like this, are they meant to be uh, prescriptive? 
or are verses like this meant to be aspirational? Here's what I mean by that. Um, Is this like an expectation God has for us that we're not going to be anxious about anything? Or is this like a suggestive kind of thing? Like, you know, it's a good idea to eat your fruits and vegetables. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a good idea to go to the gym. This is, you know, you should shoot for this kind of thing. Or is this like an expectation that the Lord has for us, a thou shall not be anxious about anything kind of thing? Like, where does this lie in terms of the prescriptive, you need to do it like this, or suggestive of this is a good thing to shoot for? Do not be anxious about anything. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 6. I think we read this actually in the first week of this series, but Matthew 6, Jesus has a very similar thing. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. For life, is it not more than clothes, and, or more than food, and, and the body more than clothes? He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, and yet uh, or store away in barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then at the very end of that, he says, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And, and we read that, and we think to ourselves, really? Do not worry about your life? Like, Jesus, do you actually expect me not to worry about my life? Maybe not my clothes and my body or my, my food, all that kind of thing, but there's other things I worry about. Do not worry about my finances. Do not worry about my health. Do not worry about my life. Like, Jesus, like, is this, is it prescriptive? Do not worry about your life. This is like a command that the Lord has given us. Or, or is this like a, you know, suggestion? It's good. Don't worry about your life. Also eat your fruits and vegetables. You know, just, it's a good idea. Shoot for this kind of thing. Do not worry about your life. Do not be anxious about anything. Are these... Are these commands that the Lord has given us, or are these suggestions uh, that we should live with? Do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. Because I, th- I think we have a temptation to take verses like this, do not be anxious about your life, or do not worry about your life, um, to take verses like this and just kind of like set them aside and be like, that's, that's good. That's cute. That's, that's a good idea. Let's, let's just, let's, I, I hear it. Like we nod along because it's in the Bible and it's the word of God, and so we have to kind of nod along. But it's more of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing. Do not be anxious about anything. And we, we hear it and we just kind of set it aside because that's unrealistic. It's, it's, it's like pie in the sky kind of thing. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And so um, I want to suggest though to you today that perhaps, just perhaps, it's actually God's will for you to live a life where you are not anxious about anything. For you to live a life where you do not worry about your life. Like this is actually God's, God's will for us. Now, when I say that, I want to be really clear at the same time because um, anxiety uh, in and of itself is like a nothing. It is just an emotion. And uh, we were designed and created with anxiety as part of our like, emotional systems. And it's an emotion that's supposed to warn us about danger. And it's just how our brains are functioned. When you're in a dangerous situation, you're going to have anxiety. And like, there's nothing, like, that's not what Paul's talking about. But what I want to suggest to you, though, is that you don't have to live in that space. Like, you don't have to live in that space of anxiety. And, and, and you know what I mean by that, right? You don't have to live in that space where it takes over your thoughts at 1 a.m. Or, or you had to Google to, to try to figure out whatever it is, the answers to your problems, and you just obsess over whatever it is that's, that's going on because you're trying to figure out those things. That's, that's what anxiety looks like when you start to live in that space that, that perhaps is God's will, that we actually don't, we don't, we don't live in that space. It we don't let it control us. We don't let it become our, our, uh, our operating system, that, that we don't, uh, it doesn't own us in that kind of way, that this is God's will for us, that we would have uh, freedom from that. Now, if you read the news at all, you, you know that in American culture, those who struggle with anxiety is increasing like by 
like just an exponential rate. It's just a huge increase that's taking place in this. And so as I say that, that perhaps it's God's will that we live free of that kind of anxiety that takes over our lives, I know that's hard to wrap our minds around because it's so different than what we're used to. And so, so to kind of wrap our minds around this, let's think about this for a few moments. And let's think about the person who wrote these words, do not be anxious about anything. Let's just think about him. Paul wrote this. Paul is the one who started the church in Philippi. He started this church that he's writing these words to these people. And Paul got himself into situations that were highly anxious situations on a regular basis. So Paul wrote this. You can read the story of how Paul wrote this church. It's in another book of the Bible called Acts. And in the book of Acts, it tells of how Paul started this. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you in, in, in Acts, but in, in the book of Acts, there's, there's several scenes where Paul is in Philippi. It's a kind of a long chapter, and he's in Philippi, and he's writing where he's, he's starting this church, he shows up and he, he starts off and he goes to a river and he invites some people there at the river to follow Christ and they start to believe and, and more people start to believe. And this is what Paul did. He would go to these Greek cities and he would start sharing the gospel and people would start to believe. And, and, and sometimes as people started to believe, uh, other people would start to get threatened by that because in Greek cities at the time when people became Christians, that meant that they stopped worshiping the local Greek gods or that they stopped buying into the sorcery or the fortune telling or whatever other superstition might be in that area. Instead, they started to worship Christ and they found him to be the truth. And so as people started to believe in Jesus instead of the local Greek gods, oftentimes it caused trouble because that meant that someone was going to lose out on money. The person, whoever it is that made the Greek idols or whatever it is it is, there's, there's like a problem there. And so sometimes uh, riots would break out. And when riots would break out, Paul would usually be on the losing end of those riots, and that happened in Philippi. So in Acts 16, we read um, about one of those riots that breaks out as he's starting the church. And this is what, what happens in Acts 16. I'll just read to you a, a few little verses here. But here's how it goes. There's this riot that's broke out, verse 22. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Verse 22 or 23 says, after they had been severely flogged, not just flogged, severely flogged, they were thrown, hear that word, not gently placed, thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. If you were Paul, what would you be doing right now? You've gone to this city because Jesus told you to. You're being faithful to what God wanted you to do. And it goes so well that a riot breaks out. And you now have been beaten up, thrown into prison. There's no due process. There's no questions that have been asked. You're obviously the guilty person. And now you're there. Like, if there's ever a reason to be anxious, here it is, right? Right here. He's in a mess of trouble. But listen to what he does. Verse 25, it says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They were praying and they were singing hymns to God. So at, at midnight, when he could be up stressed out about all the things that are going terribly wrong for him and his bloody back and the questions that haven't been asked to him, the due process he hasn't had, instead, he and Silas are up singing hymns and praying to God. They're worshiping God. In the midst of that anxiety, Paul has, has taken that, that anxious energy and, and he's turned it into worship. Where now he's, he's focusing his, his, his mind and his energy, his heart, he's focusing this back onto the Lord and his, and his goodness. 
which is a, a key thing here. So this is the, the same person who wrote, do not be anxious about anything. And here we see him modeling what this behavior looks like. And we see him doing what it takes for us not to be anxious about anything. Where he's turning his attention back to the goodness of the Lord. Which is actually what he teaches in Philippians chapter 4. So if we go back to Philippians 4, he said these words, do not be anxious about anything. And here's how you live into this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. In every situation, he says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is the same behavior, that, or this is the same teaching that he modeled in that jail cell back when he started the church. That, that you can take your anxiety, you can take your worry, you can take your stress, and you can handle that, not by just becoming obsessed with it, but by turning this back, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, by, by focusing back on the goodness and the power and the faithfulness of the Lord. And maybe what's the most important little phrase in here, maybe not the most important, but at least the most overlooked little phrase in here, that's so incredibly important if you want to uh, live into this in your life, is this little phrase here, in every situation. Not just in big things, not just when things are falling apart, but in every situation. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There's nothing too small that you can pray about. And I say that, and I know that sounds obvious, but I say that because I have people from time to time tell me that they feel weird whenever it comes time to pray about things in their own life. Like, they're great to pray about other people, but when it comes to praying about the details in their own life, they start to feel like, oh, I shouldn't do that because, because it's selfish of me and there's really big problems out there, so I can't bother God with my problems because, I mean, there's like people without water and human trafficking and all these big things out there. Surely I can't bother God with my problems. But, but here's the truth is if something matters to you and you find yourself being anxious and stressed out and worried, those are the exact things to pray about. Because if it matters to you, friends, it, it matters to God because you matter to God. If it matters to you, it matters to God because you matter to God. Think about it like this. Um, my family, we just moved. And uh, last time we moved, my kids were so small, it didn't matter at all. Like, they just had no idea what was going on. But this time, they, they knew what was happening. And when we told our kids that we were moving, one of my daughters, she's got a summer birthday, she said, well, Dad, who's going to come to my birthday party? Like, dagger in the heart, kid. Oh, my gosh. Who's going to come to my birthday party? Oh, my goodness. I don't know how to handle that. And, and uh, you know what I didn't say to her? I didn't say to her, why are you bothering me with such a small thing? Pfft, who's going to come to your birthday party? Like, what, why does that matter? Kid, there is people out there who are starving today, and you're asking me who's going to come to your birthday party. I didn't say that to her. You know why I didn't say that to her? Because I love her. <laughs> it, if it matters to her, it matters to me because she matters to me. And this is how God is. He doesn't hear your prayers and is like, I can't believe they're praying about that. <laughs> there are people living in extreme poverty and they're praying because their knee hurts. Oh my gosh, how selfish are they? Oh, there are people without clean water and they're praying about how they don't have any friends. Oh my goodness, oh, how selfish of them. Of course, that's not what God is like. God delights when you bring your prayers to him. 
He delights when you come to him with every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, presenting your request to God. He delights in this. And the reason I know that he delights in this, like the proof, if you're wondering, you kind of don't really think it's true, but I, I promise you it's true. And here's the proof of this, is that he loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that you might have life eternal, life abundant. This is the gift that he's, our God is a giver. He, he wants to give you these things. He cares about you that much that in every situation, doesn't matter how big or how small. In fact, when you start to bring the small things to God, you're going to start trusting him with the bigger things. And so in every situation, Paul says, a prayer and petition. And when you begin to live into this, that you begin to entrust God with the details of your life, because you can, if you can trust God with your eternal life, you can definitely trust God with the details of your life. And when you begin to entrust God with the daily details of your life, here's what happens. Here's what God does. Verse 7 says this. That the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? There is a peace that is more than you can understand. It is more than you can wrap your mind around. It is bigger than your circumstances. It is, it is more than you can produce on your own. This is not something you create within yourself. This is a peace that God gives to you. As you begin to entrust your life to him, God gives you a peace that is bigger than you can understand, a, a peace that is about fullness and wholeness in your life. It's a, a peace of God that transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then Paul's going to go on throughout the rest of this letter, and he's going to talk about a financial gift that they have given him and how he is content no matter what it is that, that's taking place in his life. But I want you to catch that last phrase we just read, that whatever is pure and true, admirable and right, think about these things, dwell on these things. And when you think about this pattern that he gives us here about anxiety, this is the same thing that we saw him practicing in that jail cell. You can live within the turmoil and the storm of anxiety, or you can take that energy, that nervous, anxious energy, and you can turn this into worship. You, you can turn that and focus that, because what you focus on, it turns out it actually does matter. What you dwell on with your thoughts and where your thoughts go, it, it actually matters greatly. It reminds me of a story. Uh, it's a very, very old story. I definitely did not write this. It's a, it's a very old story um, the rabbis used to tell. And it was about two brothers who lived during the time of the, uh, the Exodus when the people of Israel were freed from slavery from Egypt. And this is not a story that's in the Bible, but it's about a story that's in the Bible. And uh, these rabbis would say that, that when the Exodus took place, that the Israelites were freed from slavery. Remember the story? They're slaves for 400 years. God sends Pharaoh. Pharaoh rescues them. Or, I mean, sorry, Moses rescues them from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh changes his mind. The Egyptian army comes after them. God parts the Red Sea. Well, the, the rabbi said that while the Bible says that the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground, they, the rabbi said, well, well, maybe it wasn't like really dry. Maybe it was more like what happens at low tide. You know, it's like it's firm and you can walk on it, but it's also kind of muddy. And so the rabbis had these, made up this story about these two brothers who were crossing the Red Sea and they started to talk as they were crossing the Red Sea. And the older brother looks to the younger brothers are crossing the Red Sea and he says, you know, it's a little bit muddier than I thought it'd be. And the younger brother says back to his older brother, he says, yeah, I just got these sandals too. 
And the older brother says to the younger brother, he goes, you know, I, I think if they had planned it a little bit better, we probably could have found a route that went around all of this water instead of through it. And the younger brother says, yeah, you know, if I wanted to walk through water you know, or, or mud, you know where I could have done that? I could have done that in Egypt. And they talked on and on and on and on about the mud that they're walking through. And all the time they missed the walls of water that were on either side of them. So that when they crossed over to the other side of the Red Sea and they climbed up on the bank and they saw all these people rejoicing and praising God for the great miracle that they have seen among them, these two brothers had no idea why it is that they were rejoicing. You see, there's a, there's a way of living that you become so focused on your problem, so focused on what's wrong, so focused on what could be wrong, so focused on what might go wrong, so focused on what you fear or dread that you miss the ways that God is moving all around you. You miss the miraculous in your midst. You miss the way that God wants to move in your life. You miss the, the ways that God wants to miraculously give you a peace that's greater than understanding. You, you miss all of this because you come so focused on the mud that you're walking through in that moment. Now, what I'm trying to share with you here is not just like the power of positive thinking, because that's not what this is about. This is, this is about entrusting our lives with the Lord. And, and as we're going through our lives, you always have this, this temptation before us that, that we can either focus our attention on all of the things that are wrong in our lives, or we can focus our attention back to the Lord and on his goodness and on his favor and on his, his faithfulness and all that he does for us. And, and as we do this through prayer and petition, as we do this by entrusting the details of our lives back to him, we are given this peace that is so much larger and bigger than we can possibly comprehend, this peace that is greater than anxiety, this peace that is greater than stress, this peace that is greater than anything that we're going to face. This is the promise that the Lord has for us. And as we navigate change, this is the promise that, that many of us need to cling to because change is so difficult and because change is so stressful. But when we become those kinds of people who continually refocus our attention back to the Lord, and small things and big things, we become the kind of people who live in that peace that the Lord has for us. In the 1870s, there was this businessman from Chicago. His name was Horatio Spofford. And in 1871, there was this fire that ripped through Chicago. It burned up most of the city. And in those days, there wasn't like insurance and things like that. So people just lost their property when fires went through. And 1871, Horatio Spofford lost most of what he owned. And the same year, his four-year-old son died. Just tragedy upon tragedy. Just very, very tragic year. Well, it took a few years, but after a few years' time, he recovered. And, and as his finances recovered, he sent his family on a vacation, a trip to, to be together and to spend time together. And, and they went to Europe. And he had some business to take care of in the States, so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him on a ship to, to sail to, to, to Europe. And, and as they were sailing to Europe, their ship was struck by another ship. And later... After he learned of this, he, he later received a telegram. It's become quite famous. This telegram only had two words on it. It was from his wife, and it just simply said, saved alone. His four daughters had drowned in the sea. His wife had been picked up. In a few short time, a few years, he had lost most of his belongings. He had lost his four-year-old son. He had lost his four daughters. So Spofford gets in a, a ship, and he sails across Europe to, to, Europe to, to be with his wife and to bring her home. And and as he's sailing across the sea, the captain of the ship tells him that these are the, the place where that ship collided with the other ship. This is the place where your daughters drowned. And, and Spofford, who was a, a man of God, he could have, took his pen out and he began to write a poem as he was thinking about what it is that he'd experienced that day and what his daughters had gone through. This is a man who understood what the peace of God that passes understanding looks like. 
a man that understood what it means to bring your prayers and petitions to God, then every situation he can give thanksgiving to God. So he started to write this poem. This poem has become famous, but he did not write it as a song. Someone later put it to music, but, but he just wrote a poem, and here's how the poem went. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when stream, sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. Do you know the next line? Say it with me. It is well, it is well with my soul. Another verse of the same poem, as he's overlooking the place where his daughter's drowned, he says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Another verse, this same poem, it goes, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Here's a man who understands that there is a peace that passes understanding. Here's a man who understands that no matter what the situation looks like, no matter how dire the circumstances might be, he can entrust his life to the Lord. Friends, that verse goes like this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And I wonder for you, life today, what are the things that in every situation, we all have them, what are the things that you need to bring before the Lord today? What are the things that you need to place in his hands? What are the things that you need to give to him so that you might receive from him this gift of peace that passes understanding? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks today that you have indeed given us a gift, this gift of your son, this gift of life everlasting, this gift that you went through on the cross for us that we might find life through you. And I, I pray first of all to today for if there's anyone here today who just very simply needs to receive you in their life because they'd have no idea what this peace is that we're talking about, just this gift of, of knowing you and walking with you. Would this morning be a chance for them in their own life, in their own words, in their own way to say, Lord, would you, would you give me that peace? Would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life that I might walk with you? And I pray, Father, for anyone here, my, my brothers, my sisters here this morning, anyone who might be struggling with anxiety, stress, circumstances that feel like are overwhelming to them, may we be the kinds of people who trust in you in every situation, big and small, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. We present our request to God, and we ask, Lord, that you might fill us with the peace that transcends all understanding that our hearts be guarded through Christ. God, we trust you. We love you. We thank you. May we be the people who trust you for our whole life in big and small, eternal and details. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray.